0: We live in a very diverse nation in the United States, and our college campuses can be equally, sometimes even more diverse than the city or neighborhood we grew up in. Diversity may be on campus, but that doesn't mean every voice is heard at the table. Voices from the Margins is a podcast designed to elevate the voices of women and students of color from college campuses around the United States. Together, we hope to raise awareness on unknown issues, invite people to action, and advocate for the unheard. Join us on Voices from the Margins. And welcome to Voices from the Margins. I'm your host, Sean Watkins.
1: And this is Alice Liu. And today we've gone to campus to interview some students and alumni about what it means to stay woke... And what it means to be woke, <laughs> in general. Yeah, let's listen to the let's listen to the second set of interviews um, that I believe were from two black students that are alumni of what university, Sean?
0: Uh, they both are proud alumni of the University of Texas at Austin.
2: Like there's sometimes this battle between staying woke and being quote unquote spiritual and actually knowing Jesus, mm-hmm. and so a lot of times people feel like, now you got to stay woke, and that even bleeds into religion and like nah so you got the white man oppressing you and it's that but then there's also like well yeah I believe in Jesus but what is Jesus doing about this and it's like wait that's they don't have to be two separate things so Mm -hmm. for me I'm like okay staying woke depending on who I'm talking to I'm like okay well what exactly does that mean because we might even have two different
0: definitions of wokeness yes and it sounds like like you're saying like staying woke means kind of being aware of systemic injustices or social justice issues happening in the country and but that's not separate from your faith like Mm, your faith should influence you both to see those things but also to engage in those things it Mm -hmm. kind of brings about the kingdom of god interesting for sure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. chris what about you (laughs) we'll edit that name out
3: I mean, no, I wouldn't, I think it's interesting you said about the being woke, like, I wouldn't consider myself, like, woke, because when I see that, like Gabby said, some it's had such a negative, yeah. but at the same time, I don't consider myself, <coughs> sorry, one of those people, like, in the church that are, like, just the silence, it's uh-huh. definitely, yeah. like, the silence is, like, no, you don't, as a follower of Jesus, you don't get to be quiet, yeah. like, you don't get to not have an opinion, because that's not what Jesus would do, mm-hmm. like, if we're gonna go there, like, you just don't, it doesn't matter what color you are, what political party you are, you don't you don't get to be quiet yeah. and so for me it's like there should like Gabby said there's not a <clears throat> difference between being woke if you're a full believer in jesus and you're following him and you're serving the least of these and mm. that's part of you being woke is a part of serving yeah. the least of these
0: you know what i mean so that's
3: i mean it, it goes
0: together for me i'm taking the thing I say too so we're talking about this idea of like staying awoke but not walking away so mm. what keeps you engaged what keeps you hopeful in the midst of these things so um Yeah, why not just throw in the towel, just not be concerned with national or systemic issues and call it a day? What what keeps you engaged?
2: I think for me, I'm aware that I don't know the root root of everything that's going on. Like, I know there's a bigger picture. um, And with all of these issues going on, it's like, just like somebody said, at the discussion earlier people can look at you know walls or like you know muslims being ex- but that's not the issue the issue is that i'm happy that the brokenness in our society is being come to surface because i feel mm-hmm. like that just points to the fact that well then people do need jesus like there has mm-hmm. to be a savior because chaos exists mm-hmm. and i feel like too um these past couple of years maybe like the past 50 years people have used the excuse especially with Uh, when Obama was president, like, well, okay, now we have a black president, like, we're good, like, slavery is over, we're this... Okay, but, like, let's talk about the fact of everything else that's going on. Like, let's not try to act like America don't have problems. We have problems, and so... (laughs) How many people got shot But he was president? For real, and so now the people who maybe wanted to be quiet about black issues or whatever it is, well, now they're talking about you. Now they're talking about you. So now it's like, okay, we do have problems. Something needs to be fixed. So I think... What gives me hope is like, well, if there are issues, then that points you to a savior. Kind of like people say necessity is the mother of invention. Well, mm. we're in desperate need of something. So mm. that calls for something has to happen.
0: Mm. Absolutely. yeah, yeah. You?
3: The question, like, what keeps me engaged with what's going on or what keeps me engaged in my faith? Like, which?
0: What keeps you hopeful? I think probably in the midst of these things. So, I mean, there's... If we look at probably the series of unarmed shootings, the perpetual silence of the church on those issues, Mm -hmm. or as I would call it, I think probably a labeling of issues that affect the dominant culture. Those are moral issues. Those are theological issues and every issue that affects the margin. So people of color, women, uh, those are political issues that the church doesn't have to engage in those things. So Mm -hmm. that can be, I think, difficult to process. Uh, with Mr. Trump becoming uh, president after his racist, racist and sexist comments, that can very easily be discouraging. Um, it's gonna be bad. But old girl, who just became the uh, Secretary of Education today, uh, she's said some frightening things. And so, that's just that's a number of things that would be discouraging. But for us as Christians, um, we have this eternal hope. And so, I'm curious, like, what keeps you hopeful? What keeps you speaking about things? What keeps you on a college campus tonight, inviting students to pursue Jesus? So.
3: I think like I never I never really thought about the whole idea of Jesus on a cross. You know, and so, you know, old school Baptists they tell the gospel every Sunday and it never hits. But now that I think about the suffering, that people are actually going through. We were having a feel good time. Mm-hmm. We're on social media. We mm-hmm. post all of our feel good moments. And so now that we're hurting together as a nation, I think about our Savior Jesus on the cross suffering, mm-hmm. right? And although, yes, he's died, he died and he was raised, but the realness is Jesus suffered. Mm-hmm. And when the Bible says that we are going to suffer too, like, I think we forgot that mm-hmm. because we have all the medical treatment we need. We can, we can patch and fix yeah. and buy everything. But what keeps me hopeful is that my faith already told me stuff was gonna go down it never told me like oh this is gonna be easy so it's almost like this it's becoming more tangible like i can hold it in my hand you know what i mean like the like gabby was saying my only hope is in jesus nobody can fix it like we were waiting i hated how people were waiting on obama as the savior and now they realize he wasn't the savior and then just like he wasn't the savior trump is not the savior nor can he come and destroy everything with one hand as much as we try you know as much as it feels like it when he became president so for me it's like my faith is becoming tangible people need Something real to hold on to because everything we thought was gonna work mm-hmm. is falling and crumbling in our face. Yeah. And so that, I think it's like, since that's the only thing I can go to and get peace, it's like, I mean, that I, I have to stay because nobody has any better offers. You know, what I mean, <laughs> people want to talk about Christianity and being weak. like, so y'all don't, but if I follow my faith to the T, if I do what Jesus tells me to do, if I live like Him, I'm going to have all the peace that yeah. I need to, to, to finish this thing out. And it's like, you know.
0: That's real. That's real. Can I just, can I be a proud Texan for a moment? We have some very intelligent people in (laughs) Texas. My goodness. Uh, I've asked students to be able to come up, you know, when I travel. So I wish some of the guys would come up from different ethnic groups. But the fact that there have been three women in particular, uh, one being South Asian and two being um, Mm -hmm. uh, black students and just their level of awareness uh, and their ability to articulate things. I'm just, I am. I'm very proud of my state. <laughs> what do you think about the interviews, the second uh, set of interviews with these two, um, these two alum, Alice?
1: Uh. Um, loved what these two women had to say. Um, felt like some of the things, especially about what it means to um, think about being woke from the perspective of uh, the Christian faith, were really challenging. Um, I almost got teary the first time I. <laughs> Heard them speak because I think that um, as I've been reading the news and I'm thinking about the histories, the histories of discrimination in the United States, it's just been discouraging, you know. Um, and that question, what does it mean to have hope, is one that I've been asking myself.
0: Yeah, I you know it was interesting for me. I think even when we asked them. Uh, I mentioned the topic, and I think for uh, one of the alumni, for her to open up and say, you know, when we talk about being woke, I thought she did a great job of articulating some of the tension that we see uh, in the Black community, that there's this idea of being woke, and there's this idea of being Christian, and how too often people are taught that those are two different things. And I loved how both of them were able to articulate, well, being woke is actually, that's a part of what it means to be Christian, right? That that our faith should influence not just how we view the world, but also should influence how we view our ethnicity. And that being woke, it, it means that we have to pay attention to what's going on in the world around us. And so I love the fact that she addressed that, you know, we compartmentalize these. In reality, they are interconnected, and you have to have both. You can't be woke, uh, arguably, and, and not be Christian because we have to have hope in changing the world. But then also, if we're going to be Christians, we've got to be aware of what's going on in the world around us. So I, I absolutely love that.
1: I appreciated that. I think in the last two or three weeks, I've gotten that question a few times um, or a similar challenge. I've had Christians ask me on social media, you know, why is it that you care so much about refugees? It's almost like you seem to prefer them. Why is it that their lives are so important when I have so many neighbors that are so much closer in proximity to me, proximity to me in terms of relationship and geographical distance? Um, And I think it raises a challenging question for us, especially I think for college students um, who are on campuses talking about injustice, talking about what's going on in the world, um, to think about what, it, what, what energizes us, um, where, that, where our ability to see and uh, feel passionate about what's going on in the world, like where does that come from? Is it coming from primarily the university or the facts that we're seeing? Um, or is that tied into our understanding of Jesus?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. It's a great question. I think it's one that college students are attempting to answer. I think that it's one that Christian leaders have to be able to answer. Because um, mm-hmm. I think what's what's happening with this this social media generation, this millennial generation, what caught all of us off guard was the combination of their awareness of social justice issues and their utilization of social media to communicate those. Uh, No one expected, I think, Twitter and Facebook to be a galvanizing force for um, peaceful protests, for social justice issues that are happening in the country. But this millennial generation, they've all gotten online, and they've asked each other questions. And they're trying to interpret what's going on. And what they've noticed is that they have a common shared experience. And you've got people who are not aware of these issues who are getting online and they are learning and they're listening. And in the midst of that, as you know, that's why our department exists, we're longing to see a biblical witness happen in a social media space. It's not just that these issues are going on, but what does Jesus have to say about them? What does scripture call us to be able to do? And how can we uh, produce a world that is not so much retaliatory towards another ethnic group or that? Uh, marginalizes another people group, but how do we create a society that better reflects uh, the kingdom of God? Um, I think we probably won't have time to do it today, but I just, it just crossed my mind too. But I did actually interview one Vietnamese student um, last week, and he shared with me, he has a tremendous heart for refugees right now, uh, particularly mm-hmm. from the Syrian refugee crisis. And he said something to me that was very startling. He said, Sean, the reasons why myself and a number of my friends who are Vietnamese are concerned about the Syrian refugee crisis, he said, this is us 30 or 40 years ago. He said, you look at what's happening with with the Vietnam War, or what was happening rather with the Vietnam War and how there were so many people that were fleeing that community and they were coming to the United States and there were questions of safety. Could they be trusted? Were they going to try to destroy the community? And he said there were, there were people who were Christians who both reached out to them to help them and Christians who also shut their doors. And so he said, as he's listened to his parents and his grandparents uh, sharing about these things, some um, uh, 30 or 40 years later, he said, the Syrian refugee crisis, he said, this is a part of our story. And I think for so many immigrant communities, there's a passion, exactly what you said, there's a passion, there's a fire inside of us when it comes to social justice issues, because our stories are interconnected. It's not just a random person being killed by law enforcement. It's someone who looks like my brother or my sister. It's not just a refugee from another country that's coming that we are either opening our borders to or closing our borders to. This is someone whose narrative, their story resembles my family's. And so we can easily say, you know, at a different point in time, that could be me. And I think there's, there's something about this, this millennial generation that they are they have a higher level of empathy than I think we've seen in generations past. And it's leading them to, to be active and to engage in things.
1: Do you, do you think that ties back into what you mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, or maybe it was last week about uh, the significance of displacement in terms of shaping students' ideas about the world? Um, Do you think it's being on a diverse college campus? Is that it?
0: Uh, I think Well, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that as well too. I think displacement helps, you know, like it's, there's nothing like being in a room where you are not in power, you are not in control uh, and the perspective, the opinions, the decisions that are made um, are against your norm. And, you know, not just for like, you know, two hours and then it's over and you can debrief it. And then you can say, okay, I'm done. I'm I'm going back to a safe space. Like it's got to be for a considerable period of time to where it, it disturbs you. Um, and if we're not able to have displacement, then we do what Sun Chan Ra talks about. We have mentors of color to help us with those things. Um, but no, I think displacement is huge. That displacement is absolutely huge. I think it's also something about just ha- knowing your history and knowing what's come before you. Like history mm-hmm. always repeats itself until we learn the morals, we learn the principles of the past. And so there's something interwoven about that. And I, I in my opinion, I think, not just for people of color, not just for the black Latino community, but particularly for immigrant communities, there is a history that is remembered. Uh, and it, it shapes how I think they view the world and why they're such a passion, I think, to address uh, so many of these issues. So what about you? What do you think?
1: I agreed with everything you said. <laughs> um, I, I think that for, I do think that for some for some college students, uh, being woke doesn't require a sense of displacement. Um, I think it's possible to acknowledge that and to believe that the injustice occurs. Um, And maybe this is where the ways that we use woke are insufficient because I think that um, as Christians, we're not caught to just acknowledge that someone else is different, that someone else has a different experience. Um, But to move our understanding of the world closer to their lived experience. So, for example, um, since you're a black man, I can acknowledge that your experience, you know, um, in work, in school, in church has been very different than my own. Um, But that's really different than knowing what it's like to take a walk in your neighborhood. You know what I mean? Um, um, And I think that that's where the displacement experience can be really for transformative. Um, You have this opportunity in college to actually literally not only room with or become friends with or share classes with, um, just to be around people that are living in a different world, you know? Um, So I liked what you said about how remembering remembering the past and how it's present in the future um, can help us emphasize and I guess see a way forward. Um, I like that a lot. I think for two reasons. Um, Chinese people, I think a lot of Asian cultures are really narrative. It's, actually, it's not just the Asian people. You know, Native Americans are there. There are a lot of very story-oriented cultures. And the reason you tell stories is because we believe that the past repeats itself. Um, and I think that's actually a belief that Jewish people had, which is why you see them constantly re- repeating like repeating and remembering that you know God is the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and, the, and they're naming all these people because they're remembering how the similar um, how God has been consistent in all these stories um, and also that um, that their issues that they have you know are often repeated. And so I think that there is an, it feels encouraging when I remember that, Um, when I remember what's happening now as part of the past or similar to the past because I know that um, things turned out well for my family, you know. Um, I know what my people were capable of, and I know who God has been in the past, and so I can look forward and say, um, just as our suffering... um, just as suffering now is the suffering we've seen in the past, so also is our hope for the future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, remembering is one of those things that uh, we see over and over again in the Old Testament. One of my mentors, a guy named Mike Karam, who's still on staff with varsity, he would always teach the Old Testament. And Mike would say, uh, you know, in Scripture the most repeated command is fear not. We see that uh, from Genesis of Revelation. He said, but one of the most repeated commands in the Old Testament is this idea to remember. He says, God says it over and over again. Remember uh, the Lord your God. Remember what I have done for you. And Mike often tells us that in the Old Testament, memory is better than knowledge. Uh, Memory anticipates a future with God. Mm -hmm. And you see that just with a lot of uh, communities of color. There is this idea of remembering. I think for black people, uh, we remember the past uh not because we we're ashamed of it, but we remember the past and we look at what happened during the civil rights movement. And for too many of us, we can't say that things turned out well. It turned out well in terms of the laws changing, but the cost was so high. Um, mm-hmm. but I think we don't look back with shame and with regret on those things. I think black people look back on that with tremendous hope because we have endured, I think, through everything that's happened with our community in the United States, um from slavery to the destruction of our families, legally and law abiding, I think, to the civil rights movement and the assassination of so many leaders. Uh, We look at police brutality that's happening in the country right now. And people ask, why is there an anger and outrage for that? And people forget that the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, the highest ranking cop in the country, you know, he had Dr. King on his like most hated list, you know. So I think we look at all of these things, but through it all, we've endured. We're still here. And there's a, there's a spiritual endurance, I think, that God has placed inside of us and other communities. And that's one of the things that gives me hope, I think, as you look at this. Like, we are still here throughout all of it.
1: Um, I remember that. Um, so I was really stressed out after um, the election happened um, because I was concerned about why a number of Americans voted a particular way. I don't know if we're allowed to put this in the podcast. Um, well, let's just say I was I was concerned um, around so this past year I've been concerned with the direction that society's taken uh, with regards to issues of injustice. Um, and I remember some of the best advice I actually got was from my housemate, uh, who is an Asian American, and she told me that she went and emailed. Um, I think a number of just older black men in her workplace who were Christians and just asked all these questions about what it meant to live through, um, live through the 50s and 60s and 70s, um, just trying to gain knowledge. And I thought that was really, really good advice um, because as a second generation Asian American, um, my parents have my parents and my grandparents have definitely experienced some very difficult things overseas, um, especially after World War II or during World War II on um, Taiwan. Um, but we don't have that history here in the United States. Um, and so in some ways, I feel like as a adopted daughter of the Americas, um, that there's strength to be learned from um, the history of black Americans in this country. There, there are things to be learned, there's hope to be found in the ways in which, um, I guess, your people um, have pressed forward um, and, in seeking justice. Um, I'm thinking about something else now. <clears throat> The anniversary of 228 is coming up, so I've been thinking a lot about that recently. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if we'll put this in the podcast, but it's the anniversary of, um, the, of a very uh, severe conflict. Some people call it the 228 incident. Some people call it the 228 February 28th massacre um, that happened on Taiwan that kind of triggered uh, the a p- a period of martial law known as the White Terror. Um, which is a very, very significant thing for my family and I know for many Taiwanese people and the reason why a number of them um, immigrated to the United States. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about that and um, just some of the challenging experience, the things that my family had to go through um, running from the government or from the police. Um, and I th- the government since then apologized, you know, for their actions during that time. But... Um, Yeah. Those are stories for another day, maybe.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. You know, I think we we look at the if I think any of us studied the histories of our people, there are beautiful things and there are painful things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could easily say there are ways in which we have been the oppressed and there are ways in which uh either you've we've been the oppressor or we have done oppressive things. Um, but through it all, I think there's there's something to be learned from that. And I think there's a there's somewhat of a panic, I think, that's happening with our our current climate. And there's reasons to be concerned. I think we're definitely seeing some issues, some emergences of racism, of sexism, of classism that are emerging at levels that we haven't seen since before you and I were born. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's some points of concern there, but exactly what you said, too, uh, in terms of how do we respond and engage in these things, I think that there is a a generational wisdom that we have to tap into. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've openly said I was depressed the day after the election. And once I got out of the fetal position, I went and got Dr. King's, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? And, you know, uh, that man was just a prophet. It's like he looked at what was happening in the country today and then he wrote the book, even though it's 50 years old, I think, and for him to be able to point to, there's got to be an awareness of the church and there can't be an apathy. There can't just be an awareness, but there has to also be an acknowledgement. There's got to be some action steps that are taken. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, we will be here again and I think it was it was a staunch warning sign, uh, a warning call, I think, 50 years ago. But again, to say they went through these things and they have endured and they've written these things down as as a, a model for the next generation to be able to follow. It gives me hope. Um, I think mm-hmm. I've always been impressed with the elders of various communities that have endured so much hardship uh, and not all, but many, dare I say, most of them have a smile on the face and the peace in their hearts, but there's an inner confidence and inner courage. Their character is sound. And, you know, we look at them like, how did you get like that? How are they so strong? How do they have such deep roots? And they had to mature in the midst of the crucible of chaos. They had in the crucible of like oppression, it matured them. It developed them so that they, they are solid. And, um, I think this is an invitation from the Lord for us to be just that. So this is all of this is maturing us into the people that we need to be. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely grateful for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm just thinking about how a number of our listeners, especially if they're college students, um, are really wrestling, maybe wrestling with a set vacuum when it comes to, um, older mature people around them who can give wisdom about what it means to, um, walk with Jesus, um, through some of the social uncertainty we're facing. Um, I know that Thanksgiving was probably very tense for some people who maybe went home and found that they had relatives that have voted one way or the other, depending on where they stood on specific issues. Um, um, Or they might come from, might be second generation, and maybe there's a language gap. Maybe there's literally a gap between growing up in this country versus another. Um, Or they have parents or older relatives that have just given up, you know? Um, and so I think I'm looking forward to some of our uh, future conversations. I know that we have planned, Sean. Um, one with someone old. <laughs> Can I say that? Someone old with wisdom. Yeah, someone mature. All right, I'm going to have to apologize for that one. Um, and uh, also we're going to talk about resources, I believe. Um, so what it means to borrow To search for voices, to borrow them as our mentors um, and spiritual advisors. Um, I know that I'm definitely personally looking forward forward to some some of the things we've been talking about.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, we want to be able to hear from you all as well, too, to continue the conversation. Uh, If you're on Facebook or Twitter, use the hashtag MDS Voices. And give us your comments, your thoughts about this podcast, topics that you want to see us address. Uh, And we'd love to be able to hear your feedback as well, too. If you want to agree with us on some things and share your perspective and story, if you want to disagree with us or ask us some questions, again, MDS uh, Voices. uh, We'd love to be able to continue the conversation. Voices from the Margins is presented by Ministry in Digital Spaces, a ministry of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. For more information on MDS, joining our team, or becoming a ministry partner, log on to digital.intervarsity.org.